Listening to Lightning Strikes Thrice, a Final Fantasy 13 series game club podcast. This is episode one of season two, covering mechanics and generalities of Final Fantasy 13 2. I am your host, Chris Taylor, and with me is Matt Marcus. This is Graham Markison. I'm Fletcher Arnett. Hello. Hello, Fletcher. Welcome. You're our new host for season two. I'm here because I have played this game inside and out. Okay, so uh, I guess we'll just start with like the high-level stuff about the game. Uh, Graham, tell me a little bit about the development of the game. It was first announced at a Square Enix event on January 11th, 2011, and released in Japan in December. The majority of the team from Final Fantasy XIII reprised their roles, including Motomu Toriyama, the director, Yoshinori Kitase, the producer, Tetsuo Nomura, the character designer, Isamu Kamiku Koria, the art director, and Masashi Hamauzu, the composer. So, one of the major differences between 13.2 and 13 was that much of this game was developed as a collaboration. In particular, Square consulted with Eidos, a Western company that they had recently purchased, to structure their development more like a Western-style game company would including setting monthly milestones and whatnot. You know, they really tried to... um, incredible that they did not have milestones previously on any other video game. Well, I mean, as we've seen with the the way 13 was developed, it just kept getting stretched out and stretched out. They didn't set hard deadlines, and so it ended up being... (laughs) Hard uh, deadline one month before, like last month milestone, (laughs) finish the game. (laughs) Yes, exactly. But so they, they wanted to change that. And the turnaround time of this game was actually very fast. The development time was about a, uh, 18 months, which is, of course, a lot sooner That's than impressive. five years. Yeah. But they did reuse a lot of assets. I'll go into some of that in a second. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So one of the ways that played out, Square Enix contracted Triace, another developer whom they're known for the Star Ocean series, Valkyrie Profile, and also uh, Residents of Fate. For what it's worth, Triace kind of owns the back half of this series, which is why it feels mm-hmm. so different. Right. And in particular, Lightning Returns is basically a stealth Valkyrie profile game. Yeah, yeah. But the, the one thing I wasn't able to find a little bit more detail on is what specifically Triace was focusing on. Because, I mean, I assume it's a lot of the mechanics and whatnot, because there's a lot of new mechanics bolted onto the paradigm system. But... Mm-hmm. At the very least, this is a, a point where the Square tried to keep their internal team much smaller than the 200 or so people that were on 13, because they felt that because it was such a large team, they weren't able to manage it as well. So they tried to keep the SE team tighter and then outsource more of the other duties. Uh, and you yeah. see that in examples like, um, you know, we said Tetsuya Nomura is back as a character designer, but what he did instead of designing the entire cast wholesale, he basically set up the basics of the characters, or maybe gave notes to uh, three different character designers, uh, Yusuke Naura, Hideo Minaba, and uh, the art director, uh, Izamu Kamikokura. Trias is a bunch of system nerds, and I think that worked out well for this game and the next game. So, Yeah, I, I 
can't say the same in terms of the character designs. I think they're all pretty bad. <laughs> well, no, J- Tetsuno no more. He goes and he gets the JC Penny catalog and he draws a bunch of belts over people, scans it in, and sends it off to the character modelers. There's a surprisingly few. I'm going to be honest. I think one of the characters in this game has their best design in the trilogy. So please Ooh. don't be Sarah. That fucking <laughs> that that. Off-center oh ponytail God. is so distracting. I'm, I'm like, why is my character... But it was there in the first game. Why is my character always looking slightly to the right, and then I remember they have an like, off-center ponytail? No, it's it's Hope. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no. Hope's design is pretty good, actually. Yeah. Hope is very good in this game. I I think Alyssa's design is pretty solid. Yeah, and it's basically like Hope, but girly. Pretty much anyone who works for Academia owns. Yeah. Yeah. I think those were all designed by uh, Minaba. I wouldn't be surprised. It's possible. I know that Sarah was designed by Naora. Or actually, Lightning's design was Naora. But um, yeah, supposedly Sarah's like skin-tight outfit was supposed to be kind of like the uh, suits worn by the characters in Evangelion. I read that somewhere. I'm not sure how accurate that is. So, do you know who designed the atrocity that's Noel's pants? Ooh, Noel, I believe that's Minaba as well. <laughs> Not a great outfit. Oh no! Post-apocalyptic Tidus has to be a thing. (laughs) Look, they're so they're so baggy. It's a post-apocalypse. You need to make do with what you find. Beggars can't be choosers. Noel must be so mad that Junko went out of business. All I could find were these curtains. Everyone found MC Hammer's mansion abandoned with miles of parachute pants, and that became their new base. That's what it is. That's what it is. The DLC costumes That's literally are, the ruins of their village, is that mansion. The Ugh. DLC costumes are, here is some skin-tight armor with a bunch of spikes on it for no reason. Noel has, like, no good outfits. Nobody has good oh, outfits. you didn't put them in the Mass Effect armor the entire game? No, I th- that does not come with the PC version. I do have the skeleton Mog, which is horrifying when he drops in in a cutscene and you just completely black soulless eyes. Very horrifying on occasion. I like it. Here's the secret about the PC version. You can mod in all the locked console uh, costumes. That's where you get the Mass Effect stuff. Going to replace my entire party with cactuars. That'll be great. Yeah. <laughs> so at this point, uh, we should note the soundtrack is wildly different on this game. Two new composers join Masashi Hamazu, Naoshi Mitsuda and Mitsuo Suzuki, who actually has a giant history of working with Konami as one of the outsourced artists on their Bimani series. As a result, uh, the only real Nobu Uematsu contributions to this game are the Chocobo songs, which there's a remix that's quite divergent from his usual style. You will not be getting Mambo de Chocobo in this title for a while. No, and it's notable that he's back because he was not involved in 13 at all. It's true. There weren't really Chocobos much in that game, so... There are two Chocobo songs, though. There are like two separate. There's the Chocobos of Cocoon and the Chocobos of Pulse, but you, know. you could be forgiven because there's 50 hours of tedium before you even see a cho- <laughs> before you see a Chocobo you can ride. It's true. Yeah, that's true. I'm surprised they didn't do the Pulse Chocobo theme because that's a very like new Uematsu esque Chocobo theme. Obviously, what you do with any Chocobo theme is you take the Chocobo composition and put a genre on it, so it's not hard. But still, I'm surprised he didn't have any involvement with it. You know, it happens. That dude weaves in and out of the company as he wants because he's one of the oldest employees at this point. The -hmm. music is plenty varied, and different areas have their own themes, and vocal tracks abound throughout the title. 
There's also plenty of styles you don't usually get in a Final Fantasy game. Drum and bass, deep house, new metal, 80s style electro funk, and vocals by plenty of people including Joel, David Whitaker, Amy Blackschlager, Origa, who some of you will recognize from the opening of Ghost in the Shell Standalone Complex, Michio Honda, Shooty HG, Francis Maya, and Kokia, whose name rings a bell, but I did not look up before the recording. I'm sorry. It's because it sounds like Nokia. Imagine if they got a Nokia to do vocal tracks. Uh, Wouldn't surprise me because um, of the Vocaloid stuff. There's No, I I specifically mean just a bunch of beats. (laughs) There's also the fact that this game has a somewhat dynamic music system. And, in fact, they weave in and out the aggressive mixes of the songs, whether or not you're in combat, since the enemies will spawn in the world with little to no warning. And the... Transitions are quite well done. I don't know if they came up with a full engine for that or if it's just a very well done behind the scenes bit, but it's quite nice and everything blends together pretty well. Yeah, they probably have both tracks running simultaneously and just a crossfade when, uh, you know, a quick crossfade when that. It's likely. I have not checked that closely. I'll have to do that when I'm going back for the post game stuff. A lot of the design changes were a direct response to criticism from FF13. This game is incredibly non linear. There are a lot of different side quests. You have more hub areas that you return to as opposed to just running straight through. And the developers claimed an influence from Red Dead Redemption in regards to the side quests, which there are myriad of. And if you actually want the true ending, you're going to be going through a lot of them. Hi, we actually lost Chris's audio for a little bit right here. But just imagine that he said something snarky about Square Enix copying Western developers. Thanks. No, that's a lot of how Japanese development happened in this era, is people were not used to what the Western side or HD development was doing when studios had been doing this for a bit. And it caught a lot of companies off guard. That's kind of what happened with 13. Right, and it, yeah, with... Uh... 13 being influenced like by Call of Duty and, and other uh, other modern Western games. Yeah. This game yeah. also has multiple endings, and I like to refer to this game as Chrono Trigger on LSD for a lot of reasons, but part of it is mm-hmm. the utterly bonkers endings, the three-person combat system, and a variety of little things involving time travel that you haven't really seen in a JRPG since that title. Radiant Historia would take that and run with it for a more serious take. This game goes, what if we decided to do Chrono Trigger again, but it was all Akira Toriyama jokes? And for a first in the Final Fantasy series, especially the main games, Side Story DLC was included, which you won't have to deal with if you're on PC. It's all there from the start, but major chunks of this game, plot-wise, are actually things you had to pay extra for and download on the console version including what actually happened to Lightning after the game ended, a beautiful side story with Saz, and a really cool set of Arena DLC. Clearly inspired by Mass Effect 2. <laughs> you know, that one I and three. see. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the thing about the Red Dead Redemption that really gets me is when I read the interview, their inspiration was basically, what if doing something in the game that wasn't the main plot wasn't the most inconvenient thing imaginable? Mm-hmm. <laughs> to be fair, this is a series where prior to this, side quests mostly involved, can you kill this guy and get a drop for me? Or can you do it a FedEx quest? I'm, 
look. I mean, isn't that's that what most, most of this is anyway? <laughs> yeah, yeah that's mostly what it is. <laughs> well, that's a JRPG oh, problem. Uh, they have the the chocobo thing, which they uh, said was for the horses, but uh, they apparently do not control very well where the chocobos spawn. It's very funny later, because I was just traversing this narrow tree branch, and then a chocobo just dropped from the sky directly in front of me. Time problems. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the time paradox. It was raining chocobos. I'm going to be honest, I'm a little jealous I didn't get that in my playthroughs. Yeah, uh, it was in the uh, Sunleth in 300 when you're on the, uh, like, the Dark Souls-like style tree branches, and then there's just a chocobo fall f- fell from the sky directly in front of me, and I could not get around it, so I had to ride it. That kind of owns. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's pr- it was pretty good, actually. <laughs> Imagine, like, just a horse fell out of the sky while you were uh, descending from, like, Blight Town down to uh, Ash Lake on that tree branch, and that's basically what happened. To be fair, that's a kind of Red Dead Redemption. Oops, this horse was flying, now it's not. <laughs> Oops, all horses. <laughs> that's true. Oh, man, that glitch. Uh, well, ew. so the game structure, Final Fantasy XIII 2, uh, embraces the fact that it's just JRPG uh, fan fiction, and the plot is primarily, like, the entire game is built around the concept of time travel. The story is presented in a manner like a serial television show. Uh, the plot is segmented into episodes, and the game gives you a story recap when you start up the game, and it's a Final Fantasy XIII 2, the story so far. And you get like a little 30 second recap of what's been happening lately, which is pretty helpful. Some of them are pretty funny, actually. No, some of them are very good. I think they're a little bit too sporadic to be useful. Like, I don't. Something about how um, Final Fantasy XIII 2's recaps uh, don't hit the same points that, you know, TV shows in the Western space recap themselves. It, it's not as, a, as effective, and it's not as. It's not as good. No, like, I've been doing side stuff, and my recap every time includes Noel getting punched by a giant robot, but no information about what that robot was or why it was important. Yeah, the problem is the the last time recaps are based on your progress in the main story, so if you do some side quests for a while, you're going to get the same video every time you boot the game. And it's basically just one of the cinematics just played over in small snippets. And so it's it, very little context. Oh, yeah, 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 dude, for sure. I played the first bit in, like, 20-minute chunks, so every time I came on, there's a good 15 seconds of lightning, like, anime yelling at Caius. Mm-hmm. So as you tra- uh, traverse through the game, it just basically, y- you're doing time travel, right? You're unraveling time paradoxes, so, like, not even good time travel, just what if time was collapsing all the time? Which is fine. And uh, you unlock new uh, new areas in the timeline or alternate timelines to explore in each era is like a discrete little d- location. Much of the design for the areas were inspired by the surrealist works of Salvador Dali and Giorgio de Chirico. Chirico. Yeah. Okay. I have to increase my font size. Uh, Valhalla, the a realm outside the timeline, was uh, modeled after ruined buildings in Havana, Cuba.
So the way you interact with the timeline is the Historia Crux. Uh, this is the meta structure of the game. It is a web of nodes that represents the overall flow of time. Each node is a single time and location. And when you are menuing through and you're selecting which era to go to, there is a voice description that sets the scene of that particular era and time you're about to enter. And this is replacing the area data logs from Final Fantasy 13. I like these a lot, especially if you haven't been back to the game, like trying to understand what's different in this version of Brescia Ruins versus that version of Brescia Ruins. I think this was a really nice touch. No, that's pretty good. Yeah. It's very There's good. a lot of very good quality of life stuff in this game compared to the first. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I really like this because it kind of reminds me of how you navigate a world and say... Uh, like a platformer, an old platformer like Super Mario World or Donkey Kong Country. Now, it's not exactly the same, but it is a very unique way of navigating this world for a JRPG. Yeah, you pick you pick the node menu, and then you, Lightning and Noel, jump into a barrel, and it spins around, and then you press X at the right time. You get launched through time into the new area. Mm-hmm. Sarah. Sarah and Noel. Oh, goddammit. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Keys and gates. Now, there are two gate types. First, you got the goddess gates, which require a specific artifact to open. Typically, these are main plot related. Now, the blue gates, they require a wild artifact to open. When you use when you open the gate, the artifact is consumed, and usually these blue gates are alternate timelines or optional content. And we should say artifacts are basically keys you get for side quests or some main quests. Yeah. Or you just find them in the world. Yeah. I hate that it's spelled with an E. Why can't you just use the word artifact? Just think of it as an Italian saying, art facts. <laughs> I'm sure there's a reason. <laughs> Artifactos. Yeah, it's that E's seem more alien. That's cool. Uh, I mean, interestingly enough about that, they specifically limited the use of like the terms Lacy and Falsy because they thought they were confusing and nobody cared. So, like, even though I, I mean, my, I believe one like, of those is true. <laughs> at least one, uh, right? So it was. Uh, <laughs> I mean, they specifically said like they wanted the jettison that that terminology. I mean, it, you see it here and there, and of course, I believe the AF. I assume the F. It's like after Falsy or, or fall. And, fall. Falsy. Oh, after fall. It's after the fall. Yes. Oh, never mind. When Cocoon fell to like then had to get caught, which is very funny because the main plot point of the game is Cocoon falls again. <laughs> That's true. Well, like it, it falls for real this time. Well, gee, a structure made out of crystal can't hold up the moon. What a shock. No. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For like a millennia or two. Oh. It gets 500 years. That's not bad. Yeah, that's a, it took his royal ripeness a long time. Yeah, we'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so I'm so excited about his royal ripeness. Everything involving that quest is one of the best parts of the game for stupidity. Uh, there's another mechanic you get a little later in the game, wherein you can close gates and basically reset time in a period, which will allow you to revisit side quests or take on other content and eventually open up the alternate paradox endings where you usually just bust through a boss that you were supposed to lose to in the main game. However, you can do different choices, get different... There's maybe like five QTEs in this game which are referred to as cinematic actions. 
But you do get different rewards for some of them, so if you want to redo an area and get the other one, go right ahead. And, you know, it's also just useful because occasionally you are going to need to side quest an area or do something, and that requires you to restart a plot. That's not completely valueless. What if you got a blue ribbon instead of a red ribbon for your, like, flan to wear? Look, dress up is one of the best parts of this game, and I will hear no shit talking. Oh, I think yeah. all the adornments look bad. I'm very excited really? about Lightning Returns dress up. <laughs> we'll we'll get to it later, but there is one like adornment I really like and put on every monster I can. We'll get to that oh, later. Oh, is it the lightning mask? Nope. I put the lightning mask on everything. I have like the little like poofy cabbie's hat, you know, the orange and white striped one on my scandal. Bingo. It's adorable. That's the one. I I like the clover just because it looks so dumb no matter who you put it on. Oh no, my fan fiction is that Sarah misses her sister so much she poorly dresses up the monster and calls it lightning. Oh god. That's sick. <laughs> but interesting. It's really funny when you see how some of the monsters wear them because they'll like drape it over the side of them. So I just imagine that, like you say, Sarah always looks like she's tilted to the right. She's just talking to the side of these monsters. Lightning! Eh, that tilt. I can't get over that tilting to the right. It's so distracting. I. It makes me like look to the right for like a treasure sphere. Like she's a uh, Harry in Silent Hill Two, looking at an item nearby. I could pick well, up. She does that too. It's though. very distracting. She does turn her head towards NPCs. They look like lightning to you. Do I keep saying lightning? I was joking. That was a Silent Hill joke. Oh. Okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, no. Okay. That You got me. Damn it. Ha <laughs> ha. <laughs> well, so with the, uh, with the, like, the overall stuff out of the way, when, let's talk about stuff that happens when we're running around on the map. They added a tutorial for what they called a live trigger system, which is hilarious because it's really you just pick one of four things to say. Right? So these are just your uh, straightforward dialogue choices. Uh, sometimes it affects what fashion accessories you get. The Mass Effect dialogue window pops up over you suddenly. <laughs> yeah, except it occupies 75% of the screen. And it also has at least two answers that are completely, you know, stupid. stupid. It's like, yeah, yeah we yeah. literally just talked about no. this. <laughs> I just met the time travel villain and Knowles and his, like, waifu. And Knowles upset about his waifu. And one of my options is, how much do you think this priceless relic that we need to travel through time, we can sell it for? <laughs> <laughs> that was really good. I think, like, I like that because it shows that Square Enix has a sense of humor, even if it's at the worst time. No, that's the best time, arguably. <laughs> it really is the best. <laughs> it doesn't add anything, really, but I do like it. It just, it's nice. It's neat. It's fun. It feels less like it's just talking at you. Yeah, no, for sure. I The, the one thing that is marginally nice is if I was not paying any attention at all, it tells me what the context of the dialogue choice I'm going to make is. <laughs> Uh, also back are uh, treasure spheres with the good sound, and now there are treasure cubes. In this game, treasure spheres are treasure in a fixed location within the area that can be opened in this area at any point in the timeline. And cubes are only available in the time period and place that they appear. To sum this up a little right. easier for some people... Spheres are the black chests from Chrono Trigger that were able to be affected any point in the timeline, and cubes are just your regular treasure chests. 
do spheres change treasure if you don't open them right away? They don't change, but that's they they're the only ones that go across time. Right. Mm-hmm. And if it's not like supposed to be in that specific time area, you'd see a little like distortion and moggles go over there and then you can unlock it. I think we'll talk about that more later, but like Yeah, you got like a two an- two second animation text for wanting this fucking potion. Yeah, yeah. I, I found that a little obnoxious, to be honest. Because eh. it's I mean sometimes you, you do miss things, but sometimes it's Im- you know important pieces like artifacts can be hidden this way. Yeah, yeah. Or like, you know, not the wild artifacts, not the plot border ones. They don't make the good sound, yeah. though, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the um, other changes to the systems here are accessory points. Characters start with four accessory slots. However, unlike the last game, Sarah and Noel have accessory point maximums like uh, encumbrance. And this limits what you're able to equip at one time. Characters start with 20 points, and through Crystallium bonuses, this limit can be raised to 100. So, for instance, you'll get a Black Belt early on. Black Belt is 15 points, so you can just equip that Black Belt and probably nothing else. Uh, yeah, later on you'll get, uh, you can get delicate and durable versions also. Delicate versions uh, take less to equip, but have smaller bonuses. And the way it works out, right... At my max level, I could have two black belts, or I can have four delicate black belts, which winds up being like 15% more effective, and you get a synergy ability from the items. By the way, that one's really good. It's like fucking 10% lifesteal on hit. <laughs> oh, There's, damn. I didn't even know. I don't even remember that Like this game had synergy bonuses. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, durable versions are just i want this effect but stronger and it takes up uh more accessory points and then you mix it with something else uh usually though like stacking four times of a delicate is the way to go interesting until you start getting some of the really late game crazy things that don't have delicate variants yeah i do think it's uh cool that they have those variations the delicate and durable is it yes because yeah, yeah. that allows you to min-max a little bit more. It's a little bit more customization. As for the system on a whole, I don't know if I like it, because it seems like you don't have as much uh, flexibility in what you can equip, but I'm still early in the game, and we're going to see later on if I enjoy the system towards the end. Well, I, I think we'll talk about it more once we start on how the crystarium works, but yeah, that definitely plays into the crystarium. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, because, because the way the because the way you get the points is through the crystarium, and you're basically saying, "Do I want raw numbers all the time, or the flexibility to give myself raw numbers, or these other miscellaneous things?" Yeah, there's a lot of trade offs that you make when you when you do those upgrades, and as we'll discuss later, there are better choices than others <laughs> that you can make. Objectively, best choices. Yes. I'll have to pay attention then, because I'm still early on in the game, and I don't want to... Let's let's talk about it right after the Crystarium, then, which is right up next. Graham, tell me about the Crystarium! The Crystarium is very different this time around. Gone are individual trees for each roll. Instead, with each node you unlock, you pick what class to unlock it with, and the game gives you a level in that roll to track the progress. You get new abilities at different levels. So let's say you get seven levels in Synergist, but at level eighth, or when you unlock an eighth node, you're going to get the Protect skill no matter what under that tree. However, Crystarium progress isn't gated by the plot anymore. If you want to grind on the beach forever, you're allowed to do that. And technically, that's what I've done this time because I'm using a New Game Plus character. 
So I'm mm. running around as a tiny god, and it's kind of fun. The tiniest god. <laughs> Generally speaking, each node is less meaningful than it was in Final Fantasy 13, but they're uh, much cheaper. So like in 13, a node might give you 50 hit points. Here, taking a node in Sentinel roll might give me like 2 strength and 15 HP. But uh, what that winds up is by uh, bouncing between the rolls, because each uh, node and each roll gives you some of that roll's relevant stat, you have much more fine grain control over your stats at any given moment, right? So, like, it solves the problem we ha- that, uh, like, Ravager Snow, right, does not really play into his statistical strength. Mm-hmm. But you can do that, given that you also get to pick what roles your characters have through uh, Crystarium level bonuses. There's a little more min-maxing to this. Uh, there's a formula someone worked out where it's every so many level bonuses on the character, you get a larger bonus, so you want to spend things... Yeah in a certain way for max stats, but you can go through this game without giving a crap about that and it'll be fine. Right. Yeah. There's like a 40 page guide. That's basically the persona for do this at this time on this day guide for leveling. Up. Yeah. Right. Cause also the way the, uh, the nodes work, there are smaller and larger nodes and the larger nodes will provide extra bonus stats of whatever class bonus stats. So like if you pick a ravager to unlock a large node, you would get an extra two magic points on top of the two magic points you got originally from unlocking it. So like, I I don't really change my decisions based on whether or not the node is small or large. I usually just, I'm looking for uh, abilities first. I will go Sentinel for large nodes in general, because the roles I have been primarily focusing on do not give a lot of HP. Right, yes, but that, that's one way, like, yeah, if you're seeing a, a particular uh, deficit that you want to shore up, that's definitely something you can do is just unlock large nodes with that class. That'll give you whatever stat you're looking for. Yeah. So the way the Crystarium is laid out is in the shape of the either the weapon the character uses or the shape of the monster. It kind of looks like a constellation. I guess we should probably say at this point you have a third party member at all times in this game who is just a monster. Yes, yes. A literal monster, not a figure. Yeah, like monster. you, you like capture you're not monsters. Out. You're not hanging out with Bannon, yeah. right? Right, yeah. This is, this is, po- we're, we're Pokemoning it here, so. Yeah. Yeah. Is Bannon so. really the best I could come up with? <laughs> I thought Apparently. you meant Steve Bannon, so. <laughs> that's, that's what I Good. meant okay, when cool. I said you're not hanging out with Bannon. <laughs> gotcha, just check. He's a figurative monster. Oh, he's a literal monster. That man is melting. <laughs> he's more gin blossom than man. <laughs> <laughs> anyway <laughs> uh so right so every time you complete a circuit around this constellation you will get a choice of a level bonus and these level bonuses include unlocking an extra atb segment unlocking new classes uh your level roll bonuses that came from the uh, roll level nodes from last game increasing your accessory points and uh i there's probably something else i'm forgetting is there anything else I couldn't think of anything, but no, I, I think that's about it. there, just in case. Yeah. <laughs> Can you miss out on things? Like if- no. Okay. So I think ATB will always be offered to you until you have six. Yeah. I think it'll always offer you accessory points, then one or two new rolls. and a roll level bonus. I think because you can only have four rolls per character. Actually, that's not true now that I think about it, because sometimes it says... Yeah, you can unlock all the rules. Yeah, and then sometimes it also... So I don't know how it picks, but they'll always come back around. All right. Okay. Yeah. I'm not so hot on this choice here, in part because I apparently screwed myself over. So, Chris, do you want to talk about uh, the the correct choices to make early in this game? 
with regards the to... The absolute correct choice is to pick ATB, no matter what comes up yeah. first. Because it turns out, a thing I did not notice in 13, but makes sense in retrospect, is that when you get a new ATB segment, your ATB charges faster. Mm-hmm. Yep. So... In this game, it takes about, like, four four seconds four to half, fill yeah. up a three-segment bar, right? But if you have a six-segment bar, it's only taking four and a half seconds. So you're only paying an extra, like, an extra, like, one-eighth worth of time, but to do twice as much. So that is definitively the correct choice. Right. Uh, additionally, if you do what Matt did, right... <laughs> uh, which is, I, what'd you do? You did, like, new roles and stuff? Yeah, I unlocked, a, a, like, Saboteur and Synergist first, and then yeah. I did roll So bonuses. you're getting, so those, right, those spells cost two bar segments. Mm-hmm. So in that case, you can be unlocking abilities that take segments at a, uh, at a rate faster than you're getting new segments, which, like, just dramatically reduces the number of things you can do before the fact that it goes faster comes in. So, generally speaking, take the ATB segments first, and uh feels really shitty to say, but you should probably just look up what abilities a character can learn, because it turns out, Noel, infinitely better medic than Sarah, because Sarah just does not learn AoE heals, but Noel does. However, it should be stated that monsters have their own roles, and you can it's basically... It's kind of a bummer, yeah. because, I mean, this whole system... There's so much choice, and that I think that's a good thing that they added a whole lot of choice. I mean, it plays into the whole, this is a game developed by committee, you know, with a spreadsheet of things to improve on from the last game. Because the last game, it was hyper-focused, hyper-narrow. You didn't really have many choices to make. And this one, it's completely the opposite. It's maximal. There's so many systems. There's so many choices you can make. But in this case, I chose poorly. And... uh I ended up like the, the ATB gauge runs so. But sm- you could make that up with monsters, though. Yeah, monsters are basically designed to fill holes in your rolls. Yeah, and well, the, that's the other thing is the way the monster growth works. If you're like me and you're not playing to the maximum like efficiency, that means you're not getting the drops to max out your monsters as quickly. So you, it really is a rich get rich, poor get poorer situation. Oh, that's true. Yeah, because yeah. when you get a five star, you do get a two hundred percent drop. Well, we can still turn like it does. Like so, like getting a five star doesn't increase your gill drop though, does it? Uh, it's just item find. I think I it increases it's just item too. find. There's there's two um two yeah, things you get two bonuses. You get two bonuses. I forget what the other one. Is. It's probably gill. Item drop and 200% other thing. Yeah. It must be gilded. But either way, right, you can just turn that money into monster experience because every shop sells here are monster upgrade materials. You can just go grab yourself like all of the mechs are early peakers. Just go grab one and they're suddenly twice as good as your characters. Right. Yeah. I mean, generally speaking, that's true that any role that your character has, a monster will be better at it. So if you want to make, you know, a commando... Uh, in your party, you want to make it a monster. You don't want to make that one of your characters because it's probably going to be stronger than you. Yeah, the right out the gate, right? You get um, you get that uh, hoplite, the early peaker sentinel, the pulse work soldier, and then the hoplite, and yep. they are just incredibly good at that role. The thing you need to realize is that there are one or two crazy good ones in. Every oh yeah, game. yeah. I mean, the hoplite is the thing that's kept me like. You know, most of these regular battles, I've been getting, like, three and four stars, but I'll still manage to occasionally get a five star and a boss. And, like, I, that's mostly because, like, I'm leaning on that hoplite, you know, during Cerberus to just pummel people. Mm-hmm. By the way, where where did we mention the 
We haven't mentioned the tunings yet. Where do the tunings go? The tunings are down in combat. We can put. We can talk about them now. I guess. Okay. Let's talk. Yeah, because that's not really an in combat thing, is it? No. It's, let's talk about those right now. Well, because we talk about we talk here. about. Well, well, let's talk about saving anywhere. An auto save. Those exist now. Yeah, they're really yeah. good. They're really great. Yeah. I could play this game in f- for 15 minute stretches instead of here's three hours. <laughs> God, right. Nice. I mean, well, even the last game, like the save points were mostly pretty frequent, but this one, yeah, there, there's an auto save function. There is. But interestingly enough, if you're like me and you keep multiple save files, basically, like it takes a long time to like save a new save file because there's some weird some way that they set up the, the auto save system. It takes a lot of data or something because it's I, a bit weird. It's a little funky. You, yeah, you can really only create a new slot in the Historia Crux. Right. So it's like, here's a slot per time era I'm going to, if you want to do that kind of thing. Right. So it's like, you can save different files, but it's not like you have different, like, save, you know, snapshots. It's like, here are different, like, strings of, of progress you've made, if you, say, have multiple saves. Are you complaining that they have a thematically consistent save system, Matt? <laughs> no, it's just, it, I've never, other than like, I don't know, Metal Gear Solid 4, I've never seen a save take so long. Does it Does it take a that, long time? That might be your PC, it, dude. On, on three, PS3, it Manual takes like saving? a couple of minutes, yeah. No, they're on the console, it takes like half a second. Uh, on, yeah. on, uh, on PC. Yeah. In fairness, I am also running on a drive that like has one gig over a gig per second read write. So I don't have an SSD, and it's still not slow. Yeah, no, the the uh, slim PS3 does not have that. I oh, gotta get gotta get that glorious M2 drive. Ooh. Anyway. Uh, talk about mogs. Yep. Tell me about mogs, Graham. Encounter? Or mog singular. Sorry. There's a mog singular, yes. Yeah, we're going to get to the mogs and moogles later, but enemies are no longer roaming the field map, and you can no longer sneak up behind them and get a preemptive strike. Instead, enemies will just spawn near you, and when they do, you have a bar that goes from red to green. So if you hit them while the bar is green, you get an instant preemptive strike, you get a chain gauge bonus, fully charged ATB for everyone, and a haste boost, which is really nice, and the way you want to go into every encounter. There's one place in the game where you are forced out of this, and it sucks. Hit them when they're yellow, it's straight up, the enemy will start chasing you down, because that's how it happens. What we didn't mention is when the enemy spawned, there's kind of a dome around you, and if you get out of that dome, you cancel the uh, encounter entirely. But sometimes it's much larger than in others, and sometimes the land is going to keep you from getting out of it. So, you know, yellow happens. If you hit them first, you still get a preemptive, but no, not as many bonuses. And if the meter is red whenever you touch them... You cannot flee that battle, and you're actually in a pretty bad position. Try not to ever be in red. Yeah. 
The the dome you mentioned is uh, basically the encounter circle. Yeah. The only real thing about the encounter circle, other than being incredibly visually noisy, is that should you run far enough away where the monster stays outside of it for like an entire second, the battle is effectively canceled and you don't receive any penalties for that. Question. You know how you have these aggressive mixes of the field music? Do they only come up when like you're attacked by an enemy? When the encounter circle is visible, that's when they fade over. Because like, you, uh, that's kind right. of a waste, don't you think? You don't hear them for very long. There's one or two areas in the game where, because of how it's set up, you are going to hear the aggressive theme on constant loop. I think you hear them in the battle actually as well. It carries over into the battle. Pretty certain. I'll double check that. But yeah, I don't. I'm hmm. not terribly in love with this system. The one thing I would say that I liked about 13 to some degree is that if when you saw an enemy ahead, you had a moment to adjust your paradigms, like maybe even it's just which one you're starting off with to best combat what you're fighting here. It happens so quickly. You can't really do any pre-prep. You just got to hope that you have the right paradigms unless you like waiting until the circle pops up. Then you look around then you hit the menu and then you select your paradigm and then you go attack the thing. So I don't know. I'm lukewarm on this system. Interestingly enough, even though if you're in the red and it says you can't retry, but if you die, nothing happens and you get a game over, you just retry in the same spot. I don't see how this is a penalty. Well, It'd be really shitty if that didn't happen. Sure. But then what, why even put it in there as a threat? Because it doesn't matter. <laughs> you just go through the, uh, the game over well, screen first. I mean, look, the threat is that you're going to waste 30 seconds of your life for however long. Ugh. Fair, I guess. I, th- I expected the penalty to be harsher, but I'm glad it's not because there's an early part of this game where you're getting ambushed by these, you know, fucking behemoths. And God help you if you can't run away from it, which is sometimes Are you hard about to do. The behemoths, they're so easy. Not when you're like, I can't a kill the behemoth level. when you first show up. No, yeah, no, I definitely, I definitely had the behemoth fight quest item before I got the quest. My like first time through the area. Also, I I don't think you guys have all hit the worst thing? area in the game for this yet. It wrecked me. I tried because I've been taking the large level nodes, and I think I had just protect in general and um, poison, and uh, I already had the uh, machine sentinel. I could just poison that thing, get protect, and then sit in the three sentinel roll, taking zero damage, and it killed itself, and I still got four stars. I just let it die to poison. That's crazy. Not bad. I should try that. That sounds fun. <laughs> okay. It's 300 CP, which is like a level and a half at that point. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot. And also, I mean, you can recruit it. I've read places where people like say, if you're crazy enough, you can recruit the behemoth no, early. It's, which it's really good. I have yeah, a behemoth. Same. Oh, you fucking bad. No wonder you're doing so much better in this game than me. No, I'm doing better than you because <laughs> I was intelligent and made the right choice where <sighs> the action economy is the best economy. Well, I didn't know that it would have made the thing go faster, because if I knew that it made the ATB yeah, it's really, go it's, faster, I would have picked it every it's time. It's really subtle. Like, none time. of us noticed it in the entirety of the 80 hours of Final Fantasy XIII no, that we played. but I don't think it's as like prominent in Final Fantasy XIII 1 as it is in 2. I think it's a little bit faster yeah. in Final Fantasy XIII 2. Well, 13 runs faster. The bar just generally runs slower in this game. Right, yeah. It really felt like when you first start that the ATB gauge is just crawling and it like, it's just 
especially after coming off the end of 13, like I was like crawling out of my skin. Like, when am I going to attack again? God damn it. And like, now I realize why it's because they, they gamed it this way. They, they tuned it in this particular fashion. Hey, guess what? Get ready for that to happen again. Transitioning between the last two games. So we didn't even describe what Mog is. Mog is a Moogle who also is uh, the weapon. Mog is a Moogle who is a weapon. Yeah. I think you described him incorrectly. Let me accurately describe Mog. Mog is the worst. Period. Mog owns. <laughs> Mog is interesting. I think you meant Mog owns, comma, Koopo. Yes. I just don't like Mog. <laughs> I don't like the Moogles in this uh, Final Fantasy Thirteen trilogy. You know, it's funny because originally this game was not going to have Noel. It was just going to be Sarah and Oh Mog, my god. Be- oh, dude. Well, what happened was Katase said, like, oh, the dialogue is going to sound, it's going to come off as too girly. So we need like an emo bro in there. So they threw in Noel. I'm, That's literally how Noel that Noel seems really happy, by the way, despite being the last human alive. Here is the thing. Look at yeah. it from Noel's perspective. You have been there at the death of humanity. And then all of a sudden you get to go through time, undo your horrible hell future and meet actual humans for the first time. That kind of owns yeah, he gets to meet Nora. Why would you not be hyped? <laughs> the best representatives of humanity, yeah. Nora. I gotta say, though, the best part about Bog is a data log you might not read, where it, you find out that all Moogle wings are vestigial, and the way they fly is that their little pom-pom emits an anti-gravity <laughs> yeah. field? We're bringing it back to anti-gravity? <laughs> yeah. Oh, lord. Yeah, no, yeah, it's not, no, it's it's distinct from the anti-matter principle. Matter manipulation what you have to principle. realize is that I guarantee Hope is keeping that, like, Hope is trying to keep the friggin' moon in the air. Hope's research definitely involves cutting open a Moogle at some point. Yeah, probably. It's like one of those children's toys with all the rubber feelers where he just murders billions of Moogles and tapes all their pom-poms to the outside yeah. of the ball. <laughs> what do you think it takes in 500 years? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, Mog is a, he's a bow blade, but also he's a Moogle, and he will fly around the area, and when there is an item nearby or an area to unlock, his pom-pom will light up, he'll fly over, and then you're supposed to go over and hit a button to uh, basically unlock the time paradox area thing and just reveal something that's not in this timeline or is missing from the timeline that you're in. Uh it's kind of obnoxious. It's not great. The animation is so long. It takes a long time. Yeah, and there are parts where you have to find a specific location in an area for him to then trigger opening the next area, and it's really finicky whether or not it'll, he'll tell you it's there. And then the part where you throw him takes even longer. Tell me about throwing Mog. Yeah, you can throw him to capture items that are further away and whatnot. Uh, I ha- actually haven't unlocked that yet. You guys are underselling this. You hit a button, Mog pops into your hand squirming because you've summoned him against his will, and then you huck him into the distance like a dog toy. So, the, okay, the best well, I part haven't is actually when you seen get it, it the scene when you get it, Snow's just like, well, let's just fucking huck him over there. And Noel's like, oh, that's a good idea. That increases our range. And he's like, Sarah, help me. And Sarah's just like, good <laughs> yes! luck. And you just fucking huck him Dude. 500 feet into a and horde of And he screams as you throw him. <laughs> it's really great. Like you, you, you press the button and he starts flipping out of the air. Like, just please, no, don't. Okay, see, I, 
I was just saying, I haven't gotten there yet, so this is all news you to me. You should go there now, because you can get a really OP weapon, uh, you know, that treasure sphere where in the middle of the Atlas pit in uh, the Brescia ruins, you throw Mog in there, you mm-hmm. get a key, and then you can go in there and you can get a really fucking OP weapon very early. Okay, I'll do that, because I You have it. to beat his royal ripeness, though. Which, what, who, who are you referring to with that, by the way? Uh, well, while you do, by the way, while you're throwing Mog, uh, the Mog clock doesn't work, and any combat that happens while he's away from you is an automatic, uh, like, red state encounter. Red, yeah. So. Oh, interesting. You just don't want to, like, huck him willy-nilly. Which I do anyway, gotcha. because fuck Mog. Mog owns. Even though he looks like a skeleton. There's an ending you haven't seen yet where Mog will become the best character. There's also a dialogue about Mog where Mog's body is a fucking empty puppet being, like, animated, and Mog lives inside of the clock on his wand, actually. So he's just some sentience, like, controlling this Moogle homunculus. It's very good. Yeah. Mog Mog has good lore. Mog is a cosmic horror. It's not that bad. (laughs) Mog has good lore, unlike the shop woman in this game. He's the what? He, he's got good lore, unlike the next character we will describe in, the, in this uh, episode. Oh, please. Best lore. To keep it around Mog, I think that, like, having Mog and using him as a way to explore this world is an improvement compared to, like, Final Fantasy Thirteen, where you didn't really interact with the world so much. But you're not interacting with the world. It's just they throw up a barrier that makes you watch a three-second animation before you can do the thing you're going to do anyway. I guess that's a good point. It's a more elaborate way of pushing the X button that also comes with a time text and having to listen to Mog make a bunch of stupid sounds. I will never, never uh, apologize for loving Mog. Okay. Known monster, Fletcher. Let's talk about Sonic 06. What if we? Uh, What if we didn't? What if we talked about a character who would not be out of place in Sonic O Six? Chocolina. Chocolina is also very good. (laughs) I actually agree with you. So I'm just going to ask this before we describe her. Do any of you know the dark secret of Chocolina yet? I know the dark secret. I do in fact know the dark. We all know. Does Matt? Matt, do you know the dark secret? Yeah, it got spoiled for me like years ago. Oh, damn it. Tell us the dark secret, so, Fletcher. Okay, so remember how Wait, Saz... No, bef- okay, just, Graham, tell me about the mechanical yeah. purpose of Chocolina first. Like, let's let's put it this way. Like, maybe we should wait until that data log comes up in Lightning Returns? No, you learned Is it in it? this game. Why? Oh. It's in, it's in one of the DLC side quests. You can do it first thing in the game, but that's up to you. Uh, okay, well, anyway, Chocolina is your shop. You can buy items, equipment, accessories, and monster upgrade materials. Some equipment requires components to buy, but basically she's your your economy. Okay, let's describe Chocolina because we're making the sound way too normal. Yes. Yeah, Chocolina is also, for the record, the only source of commerce in the entire world of Final Fantasy thirteen throughout history. She's got a monopoly. Chocolina is a woman who is part bird, literally she has wings for hands, red feathers all over her in a bikini fashion, who speaks in a chocobocolina, mm-hmm. a high voice, and travels time with you and is aware of the fact that you're all going through history. Please stop, I can only get so hard. I know, right? 
<laughs> uh, no, she's got this like really like campy like theater teacher dramatic voice that I find super obnoxious. I just I don't like it. I think it's great. <laughs> I think it really sells her to me because like you know Final Fantasy is such a dry, very straight faced franchise, and having this Chocolina chick come up with like her you know school teacher sound is so refreshing. Chocolina is the Final Fantasy equivalent of the Neko Merchant from Secret of Mana. Pretty much. But, like, a Neko Merchant in Secret of Mana is not that strange. I don't know. I feel like this entire game is is not uh, stoic and straight-faced. This this game is all over the place. Like, when we get into the plot, we'll get there. But Chrono it's... Trigger oh, on my Lord. Acid. The first five seconds of the game, retcon the ending and then say, hey, check out my time travel OCs. It's great. Yeah, it's... <laughs> And they keep milking that one, like, cinematic for, like, all it's worth. You watch it probably, like, ten times. It's pretty good. Yeah. So now that we've uh, we talked about all the like the general out of combat systems, let's talk about combat systems. All right. So combat on the base of it is not very different from FF13. You still have paradigms, you have a paradigm deck, the roles are the same, but you can now switch them much faster and you create decks in the menu outside of combat where you can set what each character is doing, what monster is with you, and they all have their own names, depending on if you do, say, a Comcom Sen or so on. So if you want to, you know, get a bunch of weird little extra lore, just start mixing and matching things and seeing what happens when you decide to summon out Wolf's Fang. Is, so the names are actually different for the paradigms? Yeah. The names really? are all based on what the party composition is. There's one for every different combination in the game. Right, but I thought that was in 13. Oh, I didn't wasn't notice like, anything different yeah, yeah. from 13. There are some new names because a bunch of combinations in 13 were just called diversity. Yeah, they, they have a full setup this time. Yeah, because I remember there's Cerberus and Aggression and whatever, uh, Infiltrator, Relentless Assassination, Assault. Relentless Assault. Like they, yeah, Mystic Tower. As far as I've seen, all the names are the same. But maybe diversity is different. Okay, maybe I thought there were just more changes. I mean, there's there's the same six classes, so just any three combination of those classes have a name already. All right. The last I came game. across multiple combinations in 13 that were just called diversity. And the only diversity I've run across in this game is uh, Commando, Ravager, and Medic. Oh, I thought you were going to say the only diversity in this game was Saz. That's not uh, true. There's a black person in the first ten minutes of this game. 
I know. It was a terrible joke. <laughs> it was no, it was pretty like, good. It was pretty good. Like all black people in the Square Enix universe, he also has a gun. Saz does? Uh, well, Saz does have no, a gun. But. No, this, this random Nora guy. <laughs> that, for some reason, I thought was noteworthy. I don't remember if Redis has a gun. Redis from Final Fantasy XII. I think he has, like, a blade. He's a pirate. That's true. He does not. Mmm, yep. Yeah. Heroes hmm. from Final Fantasy VIII has some weird, like, Arm got those, blades. Yeah, those like sharp hand blade things. I can't. It would have been way that. better if he just said he has some weird arm. <laughs> well, he like kind of. <laughs> he he definitely does like has a weird pose and like you know dangles his arms funnily like in a funny fashion. All right, Forci- forcibly mm. on the rails. There are some changes to your party in this game. By default, you start the game with only a two-person party. Each of your party members start with three ATB segments instead of two, like the uh, awful beginning of 13 that everybody forgot about. Mm-hmm. Sarah and Noel start with uh, Ravager, Commando, and Sentinel, so you don't have any medics to start the game. And you can change your party leader. This is huge. When you do so, you change who you control in combat at any time, even mid-combat, and if the current party leader dies, the leader changes instead of a game over occurring, which brings back the Final Fantasy twelve meme of all your leaders getting dunked on in succession. Yep. yep. Well, it's only two this time, but I love that you can change the leader because it definitely this and something else we'll talk about, like sidesteps the problem of, oh, oh your yeah. AI is doing the wrong thing. You can just switch over and and do it yourself. Yeah, which is, which I think it's like, why why wasn't this in the first game? This is really good. The next bit that's really different is your third party member, which is your monster. Now the uh, the setup are called uh, Paradigm Packs. Once the player visits the Brescia Ruins in 5AF, the player will sometimes receive a monster crystal after a battle. Note, you do not have to see the tutorial for this first. I went to uh, 005 and then went back to the beginning for some reason and had captured monsters before I got the tutorial for it. Interesting. So I guess maybe you start being allowed to get them when you visit, but not before the tutorial. So like you visit the Brescia Ruins. I believe that's the flag. Yeah. 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 That's what happened is I'm like, wait, when the fuck did I get this frog? I guess I got a frog now. (laughs) Yeah. But this uh, allows the monster to become a third party member. The player can have any number of monsters in their collection, but you can only use three at a time to build your paradigms with. And monsters come with a specific role and can be slot. And they get slotted in. Like if you have a uh, pulse work soldier that is a sentinel, whenever you put a sentinel in your third slot, you can use that particular monster for it. Attributes. Uh, Monsters can have up to four traits, which do things like grant them some elemental resistances or increase drop chance. But the big three are Early Peaker, Well-Grown, and Late Bloomer, which indicate their level caps at 20, 40, and 99, respectively. So, monsters also have their own crystariums and can be leveled up in that fashion, but you use components for them instead of CP. The type of monster one is involves what you're going to do for them and they have tiers as well i believe it's five per you can get some as drops from enemies but you can also just buy them from chocolina and they offer different bonuses to stats when used except for the potent type which gives a bonus to all stats so you know throw them some potency if you have them if you really want to make something crazy additionally there's a a monster infusion system it allows you to sacrifice a monster to power up another 
Uh, there is a lot to this, like a lot. I did read more game facts than I ever want to read again, digging into this. But the general gist of it is that you can infuse a passive ability from one monster into another monster of the same type and lock in passives and uh, traits in a certain way. You can even override certain traits. So like I have a, a sentinel monster that's weak to fire and another sentinel monster that's immune to fire and I can infuse that so that way he's like neutral on fire damage. You can also get weird role specific abilities by feeding a ton of monsters of a different role to it. So like you can feed like 99 levels worth of Ravager into a commando and then just th- that monster gets the additional passive ability of whenever they hit it charges uh, their ATB. Basically, when we said earlier that there's a lot of under-the-hood mechanics to this game, this is part of it, and especially if you want to do some of the Coliseum DLC stuff, you're going to do a lot of this. Yeah, because you can ride your hoplite for three-quarters of the game if you really want to, right? This is a lot of depth that you do not really have to engage with. Pretty much only the Coliseum requires min-maxing. Yeah, so how how do you guys feel about that, though? Do you think that it's good to have this choice and have it be not really necessary? Well, or what do you think as a person who made all of the bad decisions? I'm not liking it right do you now. Like the, do you like to have the ability to step around it? I would like the ability to be able, like, you know, knowing that even <laughs> that, I, that I'm having some trouble early on in this game, despite having it be all these systems be unnecessary or or like a little overkill. I don't know. I like that it's giving me choice, but I don't, you know, you end up having huge balance problems like this. I mean, I like it, right? Because, like, I took the ATB right away, right? But even then, I like, I'm done with this monster's maxed out. It's been a few areas and I haven't gotten a new tier. So why don't I feed this maxed out early peeker commando like my hoplite? Let's feed him into this slug monster who says he's a late bloomer and get some really good passives out of it. And then mm-hmm. if I really want to, I can go grab another hoplite, drop a thousand gill at Chocolina, and then have him maxed out again. And you'll probably have mm-hmm. a lot of the cheap tier stuff pretty regularly. Those max out early. Yeah, but right. Like I'm just gonna go grab a bunch of grab a bunch of commando machines and feed them into this guy and get a bunch of great shit out of it, and it'll only take like an hour of my time for huge boosts. Yeah, I haven't really engaged in the economy yet and actually buying things other than like I bought a weapons upgrade once, which was like mandatory for me. But I should play around with it more and uh, see if I can get something more out of it because I think I, I'm. Yeah, we'll it's see. not as grindy as it sounds. Okay. Yeah, because it sounds really grindy right now. <laughs> like that's like, it's I, not. You can just straight up drop two thousand gill and then max out a hoplite and feed it into another guy. So like you have slug buddy from um yeah I have second I have the, area you I have, have the, the slug buddy slug. commando yeah. right yeah I have that. You just feed him your hoplite. Go grab another hoplite. Drop two thousand gill and then that dude is crazy good. All right, I'll I'll try that. Uh, the machines in particular are really good because they max out super fast and you can just buy the tier one components that they require. Hmm. Interesting. Well, moving on, uh, one of the other changes to the paradigm system is tuning. Yes, this is the best. (laughs) This is amazing. So what this allows you to do is it gives you more control over the AI behavior for your paradigm. All the paradigms start off with a normal setting. It acts sort of exactly like it did in Final Fantasy 13, but there which is are, badly, which is not perfect. And there are two ways you can tune it. There's uh, 
concentrated and wide. And the symbol is visible in the battle menu on your paradigm. It's in the big circle on your left-hand side in the corner. Concentrate will add an X to the name of the paradigm. This makes allies focus on a single target. This is great for dumping damage on a sacred enemy with a paradigm like Cerberus, which uses only commandos, or getting as big a variety of buffs or debuffs as possible on the target. Yeah, so this is like, I want to dump one of every buff onto my Sentinel right now, so I'm going to go control my Synergist in this paradigm tuned for concentration, and he's just going to get all of the buffs while my Saboteur dumps all of the debuffs on the targeted enemy. Right. But, uh, you know, consequently, there's also Wide, which is a W tacked on to the paradigm, and makes the AI go for different targets. There's a whole different default list of behaviors, and go for AoE spells. It's the group control and useful for either buffing or healing the whole party or just trying to burn down trash. Yeah, so, like, you come up against, like, here's 50 slugs, right? You go into a wide paradigm, and you're going to be casting your Aga spells. Yeah. Yeah. I I love this. I love that they gave this. This is exactly what we were missing for the last game. The one thing that's a bummer about it, though, is that now I want, like, two or three versions of every paradigm, and you still only get six. That's fine. Like it's I, fine. I, I would want to Cerberus concentrate. I would want to. Well, you just you just tune them up for each area as you come in. Yeah, but how do you 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 don't know what you're going to need when you first get there, and the monsters just ambush you, and you can't see how many there are. So it's again, you don't really have. Ah, it's a little limiting. Well, yeah, but that's the same as most JRPGs. You never know what you're walking into, but after a couple encounters, you're ready for the area. Yeah, I, I wish. Yeah, I just wish I could have like enough paradigm options where I could say, oh, I have. Try disaster wide and try disaster concentrate. You don't want that because what happens is then you change out your monster and now you have 18 paradigms to set up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's there's definitely like, I don't know. I, oh, I, oh, oh, big thing that didn't get put in these notes, by the way, is if I swap out a commando monster with another commando monster, none of my paradigms are invalidated. Ooh. Yeah. That's very good. Yeah, I it'll like just this. let you upgrade in a specific slot. Yeah, it's really good. Convenient. Did you did you have anything else to say about tuning Matt? I cut you off with my no. excitement about that. No, that was it. In addition to this party stuff, there's a cinematic action, which is uh, just basically QTEs that affect the battle. Uh, if you succeed in your QTEs, you might deal or avoid a bunch of damage, get some buffs, or have less enemies to face in the uh, coming encounter. These most often come up as dramatic intros or outros to boss fights, or sometimes in between boss phases. There are under 10 of these in the game. What? I already did like five of them. You've done most of them. They go dead for a huge amount of time, and then they come back at a couple of plot battles and the finale. I don't Mm. know if I hate these. I remember them being so important in the finale. (laughs) I don't think these are really good. They're fine. They basically forget about them for the rest of the game. Uh, I definitely failed the one on his royal ripeness on the last arrow, and then just, like, Noel and Snow just shit on Sarah. Like, oh, that wasn't very good. (laughs) Yeah, sometimes it's worth going back for that because they have different rewards for the fight depending on how you do in them, and some of them are just really funny. Yeah. yeah, that one was very fun. That one was very... His royal rape is best character in the game. Is that the name of the character? <laughs> I have no idea what this is. It's the giant flan. Uh, yeah. 
It's the giant flan right. in 300 AF. That's going to be the most fun chapter to describe. Okay. All right. Yeah, because this is my, this is, I am I the only one who hasn't played this game before? Probably. I played this game and I don't remember anything about it other than that I hated it. And I think the only reason I hated it is because it was really totally different. I'm having a great time right now. It's fun. It's very good. Just, I don't think I had come to embrace fun garbage yet. And that's just yeah. what the game is. Yeah, this is definitely fun garbage is the right way to put it. Yeah, um, trigger no. on acid. Mm-hmm. So, uh, uh, unlike Chrono Trigger, it's a good game, though. <laughs> Ooh, shots fired. Chrono Trigger's really boring. Uh, so, mm. there are other miscellaneous changes to uh, the systems here. Uh, one of them is a new condition or a new status element uh, called wounding. It's like a damage type. But it's yeah. really weird. Yeah, it's it's very funky. In addition to normal damage, some attacks and all saboteur skills inflict wound, which reduces the max HP of the target. And this can go down as low as 25%. So basically, as a fight keeps going on and you, your characters are getting wounded, they can't heal to complete max. They're, yeah, so you take 200 damage, 100 is wounding, you can only be healed 100 of your missing HP. Right, so it's kind of like how uh, in Dark Souls 2, how they handle like going hollow, where your max HP kind of trickles down when you, you know, except... This is basically just a timer on certain fights, and you can Mm -hmm. undo it with the somewhat rare wound potions, but... Which you can buy, but they're not trivially inexpensive. Yeah. I think what I meant is they are expensive. They are expensive. Yeah. (laughs) You're basically... They're kind of like what Phoenix Downs are in other games, where they're something that's pricey to begin with, but you can get them later, but... A wound is pretty much just a timer, and if you are running up against wound, you're probably not at the right level for that fight. You can also definitely use it to dunk on uh, the last boss because he is vulnerable to poison, and then every once in a while, you cast a wound on him and completely negate his fuck-huge heal. You kind of need to use it on a couple of Colosseum encounters because a lot of those are puzzles. Yeah, some a bunch of enemies can heal. Like, it's like the fucking, what's the, uh... The poo-poo? The dude yeah. that heals a gavrillion points? Yeah, they all run into enemies that heal, and uh, same thing with, like, behemoths, right? Like, uh, later on, when you get behemoths that stand up, just hit them with some a bunch of wound while you're doing damage, and it's not a problem. Yeah, I haven't gotten to the point where I could use wounding, really, as a as a skill. It's just... I mean, do you like this as a sort of a timer over your head rather than how the previous game just either killed you or gave you doom if the fight took too long? Uh, yeah, well, yes, because that doom timer didn't happen for like, what, 20 minutes? 20 minutes. And that's a long time to be in combat. And this just forces combats to be over much faster. Yeah, Yeah, this is a speed thing. I would also say that... I like how Wound is sort of the default attack of a lot of saboteurs, because, like, Wound is a saboteur skill, and it kind of serves as, like, a, basically, like, just a generic attack they can do to hurt enemies. Right. So, like, all of their attacks do a little bit, but they just also have the spell Wound on top of that. So even just, like, if you're saboteur, like, they're just casting the same debuffs over and over again, uh, now they have Wound. 
so which most enemies are not immune to. And if they are, they're still doing damage by reducing their max HP. So does this make uh, saboteurs even better than the last game? Like, it yes. sounds like yes. it would. Like, you would want to use saboteurs way more than just demons. Dog, they learn wound gut, like level 32. It's really good. Okay. All right, both I'll, of them? I'll have to play around with that. Uh, yeah. No. Uh, both of them? I thought it was just uh, Sarah. I don't remember. I think they both get it before 50. Okay. I don't yeah, know the I exact just, numbers. I made Sarah Saboteur because Noel learns all of the AoE synergy spells, so. Yeah, that's, that's what I, I did the same thing, too. But uh, interesting, like, does that mean that I wonder if the roll bonuses for Saboteur increases the amount of wound damage that it causes? Um, It's just duration again. Okay. Anyway. Uh, if you want to increase the wound damage, that's your magic stat. Gotcha. In other generic changes, the haste spell has been removed from the game. You get a preemptive strike bonus with haste for a round, and there's also accessories in the late game which can grant it to you. But, you know, that's basically a way to keep you from chumping things out. Its accessibility has been, like, reduced considerably, and aside from, like, I think a couple feral links, you cannot access it easily. Yeah, it is meant to be end game when you're twinking out your party. Well, I mean, it's fine, right? Because there are a bunch of encounters near the end of 13 where it just felt mandatory. This is what I'm going to do at the beginning every time. And let's just remove that and design things with no haste in mind. Yeah, it's mm. it's a nice bonus when you get it. But there's also other choices you might want to take instead of that because of how the accessory system works now. Yeah. Yeah. And also, water is gone as an element. Bye-bye, Titus. No one noticed. I didn't even notice until I was putting these notes together. Oh, no. Skittles discontinued blue raspberry. up the episode here uh does anybody have any other thoughts on like the systems at large or like thoughts going into the game i do tell me about them overall i think that this game is just better there are so many improvements over like combat and exploration and everything i just don't think and we're gonna get into this but i don't think the challenge of the game is good enough to feel those changes no, it's not, but, like, this is also the genre where you can just substitute your time for skill or understanding of the systems anyway, so I don't really mind that, like, it's easy. Mm. Two of the three DLCs are basically designed around challenges, so wait till we get there. I'm excited about it. Yeah, I am definitely down for a lot of the uh, the refining of the paradigm system and introducing monsters. I do feel like there's a little bit of systems bloat. And I haven't quite gotten my, you know, I, I'm not as far in the game, I think, as any everybody else is here. So 
and this is my first time through the game at all. So yeah, where are we at, by the way? In general, I'm I'm halfway through chapter three. I just finished. I don't know if I'm halfway through chapter three. I know I unlocked the Augusta Tower and I Augustus Tower, and I went through it. I don't know what that is. I just got into one uh, XAF. Augusta Tower owns. Okay, best music in the game. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think one X. Yeah, I think one X AF. Russia ruins. I just went through there, and I have to go figure out what next to do. So yeah, you can go get Moogle Throw right now at, uh, in uh, the Sunleth three hundred Sunleth Falls. Okay, so I got to go find that and do that. <laughs> go go fight his royal rightness. I shall. And I'm fifteen hours in, and I'm back at the end game. Already? Wow. Yeah, he saw a new game plus thing. He said so. Just yeah, I'm I'm still rolling with all the DLC characters. All right. I'm glad I did not do that because that gave me the opportunity to get power dunked by Atlas. Well, you could turn off thing. So Graham. Oh, you already Graham already went. Uh, I'm into it. It's pretty good. Yeah. All right. The pl- and you know what? They start off by saying the plot is bad, generic garbage. So just instead of tricking you into it 30 hours later. So I'm into it. Just tell me what I'm in for. Yeah, this is zany time shenanigans. Man, it's gonna be that's gonna be fun uh, going through the story. <laughs> oh, it's... Uh, all right. You can get in touch with us via Twitter at lightxthrice or on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash lightxthrice. You can listen to my other podcast on the network, Magmar Sucks, where we're building an ordered list of all Pokemon from most to least interesting, one Pokemon at a time. Do you guys have uh, plugs to share with the listeners? No plugs for me. I'm still doing that Final Fantasy VII Let's Play of the mod New Threat. It's good time. Where you at? Uh, I don't know. Uh, on YouTube. I bet in the game. <laughs> in the game. Oh, uh, well, right now, as <laughs> at least you didn't say my house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, where you at? The game, Grab. Right now, I'm at Guy's Cliff, but you know if. I'm thinking that by the time this episode comes out, I'm going to be towards the end of disc two. We're going to find out. That's a wager, actually. Is Guy's Cliff that incredibly generic dungeon where you fight, like, fucking King Ghidorah at the end? I don't remember. It's that dungeon where... Like that three-headed elemental dragon? Yes. Okay. I don't know why I thought you would know who King Ghidorah is. Isn't that a Godzilla character? I know who King Ghidorah was. Yeah, uh uh-huh. All right, so I'm familiar with them. All right, Fletcher, how about you? You doing anything exciting you want to share with the listeners two months from now? I will still have my website, hellscaper.com. Oh my god, that's such a good website. Thank you. And you can find my writing, links to any podcasts I've been on, and various uh, video projects I'm working on over there. All right, well, that's all till next time. We'll be talking about chapter one, uh, covering 3AF. Should we say episode one? Because it's episode. Well, it's chapter one. This is episode one, Matt. (laughs) No, I mean, episode one of the game. Oh, it's called episode and not chapter. No, because this is an episode of our podcast. (laughs) Yeah, we're going to get recursive. Next episode, we'll talk about this one that we just covered, and we'll uh, crap on ourselves for the transitions. It was a pretty good episode, I think. (laughs) Yeah, check out our incredible segs on the episode you just listened to. Rewind to the beginning. Check them out. They're really good. Seamless.
Uh, next episode of our podcast, we'll be talking about the prologue and episode one uh, taking place in 03AF in Final Fantasy 13 too. So we'll catch you next time. Yep. Ciao. Bye-bye. See you around. This podcast was brought to you by the Pitch Drop Podcast Network. Like what you just heard? Support the show by going to patreon.com forward slash pitch drop. And while you're at it, check out pitchdrop.net for more of this and other shows.